Welcome to Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. Hey, Rob. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Good. I'm very tired. How are you? Oh, yes. You've been on. A, you've been a road warrior lately. I have been. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a, a 90s reality TV <laughs> show <laughs> of uh, road traveling. Uh-huh. been in Portugal, and we went to Lexington. Wait. reverse that we went to lexington and then straight from lexington portugal and then essentially straight to pittsburgh which i just got back from a couple hours ago and it was a lovely city boom yeah i love their sports teams but i've never been there it is um really mind-blowingly beautiful i was really pleasantly surprised despite being very tired of traveling that's awesome yeah i know that the their old stadium is called three river stadium so i assume that means there's a lot of rivers that go through downtown there's three. Oh. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. How, how amazing. And the stadium, I mean, I don't know which sports team or anything, but there is a stadium that you drive past that's like immediately adjacent to a river. I kept meaning to Google, you know, like flash floods in Pittsburgh because I have this thing about flash floods. <laughs> uh-huh. And with having three rivers, I assume they have some, but um, maybe after this, I'll look into it. Yeah. Now that you're gone. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't rainy or anything. No. <laughs> I just was curious. Um, That's awesome. It's always good to know. Yeah. So, how was your week? Uh, it was. It was good. It's really busy. I'm. I'm personally in one of those seasons of like um, have a little bit more work than I'm comfortable with. Nice kind of deals, you know. Yeah. So um, there's seasons of this that that are. Um, put in in balance by the the seasons where I have a little less than what I want. Um, but as a one, one man show, you just kind of have to ride the wave a little bit, you know? You do. Yeah. No, that's, um, of course my last, uh, week or a couple of days in Portugal, things of course blew up and now I'm super busy again. So awesome. that's wonderful. And it was actually, I mean, it wasn't perfectly timed. Don't get me wrong, but for all things given around a holiday, like vacation, I had a little slow patch like we talked about last time that kind of lulled me right into vacation and then it sped up right as I was coming back. So um, almost perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think um, on the topic of of having uh, a little too much work, um, to, today we're talking about money. So Ooh, that kinda, good segue. <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of is the next logical progression in that conversation. Um have you been charging people for your services? You know, <laughs> should I have been doing I've been that? Thinking about it, um, I instead of contracts, I just have IOUs with, with clients. Like that's from a legal perspective. You're cool with that, right? Yeah, yeah. I get paid in gift cards. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, so uh, you know, I think as we talk about being freelancers, being self-employed, there's obviously the, the, you're saddled with the whole notion of running this business. Right. Um, but like behind the scenes of the running of the business, there's this element of having to manage money, both like on the personal side and then on your business side. And so what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that have helped you kind of find, find some peace or some balance and those sorts of things? Oh, that was such a good question. In between the two of us, this is so much, uh, so much more your strength than mine. Um, and a lot of what I do, uh, for my personal finances and my, um, professional finances is, um, painstakingly thought through by you when you decide what to do. And then I call you and I'm like, what do you do about this? 
and then I do that without a second thought. So um, I'm glad I can be that person for you. Yeah, that's pretty much my method. Um, no, I uh, I've had a lot of, uh, and it, it seems like you know when you and I have talked about it, we've organically come to similar conclusions, and I think most freelancer independent folks um, would come to, which is. It, uh, you know, managing your incoming money. Um, it's really great if you're able to figure out a number that you can live on that you are pretty sure you're going to be able to make and pay yourself on a regular basis and that amount and then bonus yourself at the end of the year, um, whatever the residual is. And that's good from multiple perspectives, not just because it's not so stressful and you don't have this, you're not like, you know, uh, buying a cattle convertible, <laughs> like when you have a good month, right? I don't know what year it is. Yeah. And, and spending it, you're just kind of living the same. And that way, when you have a slow month, you're not all of a sudden unable to pay your mortgage. Um, so, and then it's great if, if you do well at the end of the year, it's fantastic because you get to make a really great decision with, you know, a decent chunk of money all at once. Sure. So you're kind of suggesting, and I'll I'll extrapolate a little bit, but almost using your business as like a buffer, so that like yeah. like the highs and lows of your you know monthly income all go into the business, and then the business pays you personally like a set amount each two weeks or you know each month, right. and then that way your personal life is somewhat sheltered from some of the you know peaks and valleys of of your you know, business income. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a really good way to go about it if you can. Um, and I know that there's a lot of industries we've talked about how yours, you get paid um, and you kind of can commit to six month and year and 18 month um, contracts. So you know what you're going to make each month out of that. And for me, it's not that way at all. But that being said, there are people who have even bigger, <laughs> like big months and, and low months than you and I, like um, you know, Sam, my dad, and he's a general contractor, right? And when he started his own company, he's making huge amounts of money all at once and then going, you know, 10 months without spending a ton of money without any coming in. So yeah, if you're in a more volatile space, it's even more important. A lot of my web developer friends face that, that, you know, they'll get paid like maybe a deposit at the beginning and then the rest at the end or something. And and they'll have like a multi-month kind of engagement where there's really no cash in the middle. And yeah. so you really have to kind of um, be even more diligent about how you're budgeting your time and money throughout that process. Well, I guess, I mean, we're making some assumptions and, and um, having represented a million small businesses uh, now, um, I've learned to try to not do that. So some of the assumptions we're making are that um, you have separate accounting for your business versus your personal stuff. Mm-hmm. which when I set up a business for somebody, I always include getting the tax ID number for the business from the um, IRS on the website, which most lawyers don't. But I do that because I'm like, now you have everything you need to open up a business bank account, which should be your first thing, you know? Yeah. Um, like a lot of times I'll fill out the articles of organization with the Secretary of State, which means it's, it te- technically exists, get the EIN and be like, go open a bank account while I work on the other stuff. <laughs> because it's just accounting wise and from a legal perspective regarding this concept of piercing the corporate veil, it's just so much better if you can keep all of that separate as early as possible, even if you're still working your real job, no matter what the circumstances are. 
Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. Like, where where do the scales tip in your mind as far as like I'm a part time freelancer, I'm doing just you know I've got my nine to five and I'm doing just some stuff on the side. Like, is there a dollar amount or a threshold in which the the scales tilt, and you really need to put the time and energy into setting all that stuff up? Well, I can't speak for every state, but in Colorado, it costs fifty dollars to to like start a company, and then and essentially ten dollars a year to keep it alive. So the risk is so low, like Mm. just start it. (laughs) And honestly, um, your experience, which um, is a big part of why I advise clients to do that, which is um, uh, if you are self-employed in order to uh, apply for a mortgage, um, a lot of times they require that you have been working for yourself for like two years or three years. I've heard of three years too. Yeah. Um, and they'll date that back to when you started your company. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I've, um, so Tennessee is more expensive. It's like $300 a year okay. to have a business open. Um, so, yeah. you know, um, that is that, a bigger consideration. That gives but, you some measure as to when it makes sense. Yeah. That being said, I mean, you can just set up a separate bank account and do a DBA in your own name. I mean, still, I would recommend that because your accounting is going to be so much easier and so much cleaner and you're not going to accidentally intermingle anything. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and to your point a second ago, I actually, um, so my wife and I are about to build a house. And so we've been going through that process. We're both self-employed. And one thing that I kind of stumbled upon that I was like, Oh, that worked out nicely. Um, which rarely happens when it comes to banks, (laughs) but, um, I had been doing some part-time work while I had my full-time job, uh, for the last, gosh, I probably, I probably did it two or three years prior to, uh, going self-employed all the way. And so when we kind of started this process, they were like, Oh, you know, if you've only been self-employed for less than two years, it's a problem. And then we actually started looking back at our old tax returns and she's like, Oh, you reported part-time self-employment income. So like that checks that box. So you're good to go now. And I was like, Oh, cool. That's (laughs) huge. Like that's a really big deal. But like, so point being, if you're listening out there and you know, whatever, uh, this advice is worth, but you know, taking that step of, of trying to get your business started while you've still got your nine to five is a good idea from like a, a planning and a, a business strategy perspective, but there's also some benefit to it as well from a, from this perspective that you've, you've already got some taxable income to show, which limits the period in time where you're kind of in this weird no man's land from a financing perspective. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's come up with so many of my uh, independent um, friends who are just living their lives. And of course, you know, we're in our early 30s and people um, start wanting to buy houses. So (laughs) even if you've got a, a, you know, spouse, like when we refinanced our house, I wasn't able to use any of my income. It wasn't able to be considered in the refi Mm -hmm. because it had only been like a year and change. So that's a motivation to move it up earlier. Now, that being said, I'm not to get into the legal thing, but if you're doing work, you're a sole proprietorship. So you might be able to tie something to that. I don't know. I haven't looked into it, but get it. Generally speaking, if you can get a company set up and at bare minimum, separate your finances early, that's really useful. Something I did not know was, um, an option until the end of my first year was, uh, (laughs) I use the same, uh, business credit card. 
um, Southwest, um, which is how we're able to fly everywhere all the time. So I use that as a credit card. And then um, at the end of the year, it actually, they give you an annual statement that separates uh, your charges out into different categories. So it's kind of. Oh, nice. It's a really good starting place when you're trying to itemize your expenses. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think one of the things that has helped me at least initially early on helped me a lot and and probably um I've taken taken it for granted since but um my wife and I are pretty good about not having a lot of debt uh and in, in fact we're kind, we're kind of like Dave Ramsey disciple yeah. kind of people yeah so, I was like pretty good about it yeah that's kind of an understatement <laughs> a huge understatement yeah and and since we've been married actually the only debt we've had is our home and and so we've we've kind of lived that out so one of the things that made getting the business started was that we really like our payments are as minimal as they could be, you know, like no car payments, no, you know, credit card payments or whatever those things are. And so that really kind of helped keep our, our overhead, our, our personal at the personal level, our overhead down as low as possible so that it put less stress on our businesses as, as you know, she's self-employed and so am I. Can you uh, talk a little bit about the order in which you became self-employed? Yeah. So um, hmm, that's a good question. She's been self-employed off and on for, I guess we've each, uh, this is actually interesting because we've each had stints at self-employment previous to the current ones, but they've always coincided with one of the other of us having a uh, a job. So, okay. um, she was like a 1099 salesperson for a while, but I had a job. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, it, it kind of balanced each other out right. really well. Um, and then she ended up when we moved, uh, cities took a, a full-time job, um, when we got here and that was a season where then I, I tried some self-employment, um, for a bit. And so we've kind of gone back and forth. She ended up starting, started, um, real estate a couple of years prior to me starting self-employment this time. And, and so it's the first time that we've, we've both been doing it at the same time. And, and that was that just a huge, um, stressor for you or did you think that you were going to be doing that ever? Yeah. I mean, it seems, it seems like way more than twice as hard, you know, yeah. um, like it's obviously a little bit more difficult to be self-employed than, than, uh, traditionally employed, but, um, it seems more than two X when you're both self-employed because you lose access to some things like group benefits or, um, you know, at least we have one stable income. Right. Like I hear people say that all the time and, um, we, we don't, but we, we both found ourselves in places where we're like, we could, we could easily make more money by doing this than not, you know? Right. And so like this could be really crappy and we'd still be equal to where we were at our, you know, full-time job. So, um, you know, circumstances just finally like, um, led us here so that it was kind of a no brainer. And we're, you know, obviously you could probably guess this from everything else that's been said on this podcast, but like, we're very risk adverse. So, so we, we've, you know, consciously done things to, um, along the way that, that this is like to keep our risk minimal. And so this was a big step from that perspective because we're you know, we're both kind of out on our own. So that's, yeah, that's, I think that's fascinating because you really are one of the most risk averse, 
I was going to say especially, but I'm just going to say across the board, you're the most <laughs> risk averse person. <laughs> I probably know. And in addition to that, that is very true in the financial sphere. Um, you mentioned Dave Ramsey, which is maybe not something that everybody knows about, but it's like this financial guru who's all about not having debt. Yeah. Um, and um, we were definitely raised with that mindset. And it's been really, really, really helpful for me as well. Um, to have no, um, especially being a lawyer, uh, most of my colleagues have just crushing student loans and, you know, I kind of made every decision along the way with the goal of having the smallest amount of debt possible. And then with the goal of paying off the debt I did have as quickly as possible. So, um, I was able to get out from under it by like the third year of practice, which is, I know something that not most, uh, most people can't do. But it was, um, you know, hugely liberating for me uh, to make this decision for sure. Yeah, that's a great point because you went to a pretty prestigious law school and got out with fairly minimal student loan yeah. debt from that. And and I actually went to grad school as well and managed to not not prestigious, but I loved it. Um, and managed to get out of both my undergrad and graduate degrees with no student loans. And so, um, all of that helped a lot as far as the amount of pressure that was on yeah. our, us starting our businesses. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you had tons of student loans, you're still working on that, like the big firm would have been harder to leave Absolutely, for, for that reason. And I will say it would have been harder and it might've kept me from doing it completely. Um, yeah. and that was scarier. Yeah. And had that happened, I think that would have been a mistake because if I had, you know, um, even pretty significant student loans right now, I would have had to date no trouble paying them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, I know it's easy for us to say, oh, go ahead and do it or something. Maybe don't. It's your own circumstance. But, <laughs> um, you know, everybody has something that want, that, that makes it – you can always find an excuse not to do yeah. that on your own if you're looking for sure. For one. Yeah. And maybe it's a very, very true reason. So what, what other ways do you think that, um, kind of, uh, the way you guys organize your finances has helped your business? Um, you know, I, I think living with some degree of contentment is a big one. Um, we, the paying ourselves modestly month over month. And then if we do have great years, then we have money at the end of the year. Great. Um, but that keeps us from going, like you kind of alluded to this earlier, but going out and buying some big purchase on kind of a whim. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, work slows down the next month. And we're, we're kind of at this place where it feels a lot different, <laughs> you know, we regret yeah. making that big purchase. And so it's, it's easier to buy those things with earned money than it is uh, with money you expect to come, you know? Right. And so once it's in your hands and, and in particular getting on kind of a, an annual rhythm where at the end of the year we say, okay, with whatever we have left over, we're going to do something strategic yeah. instead of like, Oh sweet. I'm flush with cash. Like, you know, like <laughs> let's just buy things. And then you get to the end of the year and you're kind of like, uh, oh, what, what happened with all of that? You know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's helped us a lot. And, and in particular, um, my wife's a realtor. So, the, you know, she is one of those people that can work for several months and not get paid oh, and work wow. really hard. And then, you know, all of a sudden in a matter of weeks make up for all of that. But, um, so we have found that the, the nature of our 
each of our independent businesses has been really interesting because she has that. And I have as predictable of income as you can have as a self-employed person with retainer clients. And so, um, there's been times where we've kind of leaned heavier on me and then, and then, you know, um, when, when the dam breaks on her side, then we, you know, pay ourselves back and all that sort of thing. And as, as fiscally conservative people, we have, uh, a plenty big emergency fund for, for people that, you know, considering the fact that we're both self-employed, we've made a, a point to, to grow that bigger than it probably needs to be. Yeah. So we've got that margin, that cushion there that allows us to weather some storms, um, from, from month to month. Well, um, starting out, I mean, when did you start paying your, you said you pay yourself, um, every two weeks. Is that right? Yep. And so when did you start that? I mean, day one, you didn't have clients, right? (laughs) When was the first step that you thought, okay, now I'm making regular money. Maybe I'm making an assumption. Maybe you did that from the beginning. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I would, I didn't. And probably from the beginning we said like, um, yeah, her business is already running, so I won't speak for hers, but for me, stepping out on my own, I said, okay, well, this is what I've been making. So this is, you know, this is what I need to make now to pay myself the way I used to and, okay. uh, you know, what I used to make. And so that's considering, and I guess this is worth saying, that's considering setting some significant portion of this aside for taxes. Yeah. So, oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We should mention that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, just roughly like a quarter of every dollar our business makes goes to some tax account and never yeah. comes home, quote unquote, air quotes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we said, okay, for me to bring home X, like we need to make Y and, and to account for taxes. And so that was just kind of my goal. And so I I had a a goal of within the first, I think, I think I projected like eight months of, of doing my business that I felt like I could be there. And so I actually got there a little early, um, like that's awesome. month six or seven. And so, um, but once, you know, I was taking every client I could to get there. Yeah. And then once I got there and kind of that, you know, hierarchy or progression we've talked about in previous episodes, um, once I got there, I said, okay, now I can be more picky and choosy about which clients I take, you know? And so, um, we kind of approached it that way and that kind of allowed us once, you know, I think one of the temptations as being a freelancer is I can always work more and make more money, right? Like, yeah. You know, I can be working 90 hour weeks if I wanted to, but like I don't and, right. and having some number that my wife and I have both agreed on that says like, this is enough, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we want you to make and it's reasonable and we've an agreement and likewise with her business that allows us to say, Oh, okay. Well, once I'm achieving that goal, like, yeah, if I can make more money and it's not coming at the expense of anything, you know, rock on. But if that means less time with the family or that means, you know, less ability to travel or whatever those things are, then, then we start weighing the pros and cons of how much that, you know, extra client is really worth. That's super useful. Having a metric, um, to allow you to know when you've actually like hit it, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you did it, go home. <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, mine is, I'm bad about it. Like as soon as I hit mine, just doubling it, you know, just keeping knocking it out from under myself. Well, and we've been to, I mean, thankfully business has been good. And so we've kind of, you know, periodically upped what we pay ourselves, Yeah, you know, uh, every two weeks. And so, um, we kind of do that with knowing that we have this margin set in the business. And if we see that, you know, there are leaner times coming down the pipeline, then, yeah. then we can always adjust that back down. Cause we know, we know like what our, where our bottom is, you know? That makes sense. Um, and, and so 
to some degree, it doesn't make a lot of sense to get at the end of the year and have like, you know, thousands of dollars just sitting there, like when you've like scrimped all year long, but some yeah. people may want to do that and that's fine. But, um, for us, it was just like, Oh, okay, cool. We could go ahead and be doing some things like contributing more to retirement or whatever throughout the year. Yeah. You know, cause why not? So tell, uh, talk a little bit more about how you manage this, um, self-employment tax that we're both subject to. Yeah. So I have a really simple view of the self-employment tax and, and it's, it's not correct. (laughs) Let me give a little background just in case somebody hasn't actually looked into it at all. Yeah. Do that. Okay. So uh, when you're working for an employer, a traditional employer as like a W2 employee, um, they, they are taking out of your paycheck, a whole bunch of withholdings, payroll, uh, taxes and withholdings. And part of that is half, uh, they're paying half of your taxes. So you're, you're, you're paying half still, but they're paying the employer side. And then when you go out on your own, there's nobody paying the employer side. So that's, that's on you as well. So you, you pay that side and then you pay your, your income side as well. So if you're not, um, that's super simplistic, but if you're, if you haven't gone out on your own, you definitely need to look into that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I say that's super simplistic from my perspective because I think it's actually a few percentage points more that you're paying in overall taxes. Yeah. I mean, you are paying, you know, the employer side of some portion of not your income tax, but your, those other taxes, you know, right. um, and but so, you're also not like withholding for benefits and stuff. So it kind of. Right. And from my perspective, I find that running my business, I'm able to deduct quite a few things that I would deduct through my business that I would probably be buying even if I wasn't self-employed. And, and the deductions, I feel like in my mind kind of offset that additional, hmm. um, those additional taxes. So yeah. uh, I just kind of arbitrarily say like it's, the taxes are pretty much the same. I am super diligent about um, tracking what I spend and acknowledging which pieces are are for the business and yeah. accounting for those and all that kind of stuff. So that helps that a lot um, to like the mile I travel and to the, you know, the yeah. iTunes uh, reoccurring charge that comes through for whatever. Yeah. Um, so I do all that. So in my mind, I, I kind of weigh the the, it kind of is a break even that like all told I'm paying just about the same amount of taxes as I was if I was self-employed or yeah. if I was traditionally employed. So, um, anyways, I don't, I don't put a lot of consideration into those sorts of mm-hmm. things, although I know it's there. Yeah. And it probably depends on how much you're paying in income taxes and then also, um, how, how many expenses you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think your point is, excessively valid <laughs> because that was one thing. And certainly if you're, if you're in a dry spot or you're just starting out, um, that was how I spent, I think, you know, I remember vividly studying that for the first week or two of being out on my own before I had very many clients, like just figuring out what, um, you can deduct and, mm-hmm. and how to keep track of it and setting up systems for that. It's a really good use of your time. Cause that's money in your pocket. Yeah. And I, I did have the good fortune that I, um, during the interim of when I was living in a world of being subjected to a non-compete, <laughs> um, <laughs> I chose that time to go help some friends of mine start an accounting firm. And, and so like, I kind of got to see behind the curtain a little bit on yeah. how all that worked. And so it is way more complicated and you can make it as complicated as you want to 
want to be, but like, that's not the primary objective of my business. And so it helps me to not get super bogged down in all of that. Not to say that I'm ignoring it or not, um, not honoring that reality. Right. It's just that like, for me taking that as at a thousand foot view is helpful. Cause then I, I just don't get sucked into the minutia of yeah. it all that keeps me from running my business, you know? Yeah. That, that tracks. I, um, I'm not an accounting professional, obviously, but I am organized um, to elect escort uh, tax uh, filing status. Mm-hmm. So that's something a lot of self-employed people look into. I'm an LLC that um, taxed as an escort and pay payroll to myself. So that gives a little bit of a tax preferred treatment. Yeah. And I think in a future episode, we're probably going to talk more about the legal aspect of like some of the setup stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously it impacts the money, but, um, yeah, similarly, I'm just an LLC. It's, you know, pretty, the most simple business setup, I guess you could really have is what, is what I'm doing, but, um, it does afford you some liability protection and some, you know, financial separation, which is really helpful for planning. What do you guys, what do you do, uh, as far as retirement stuff? Oh gosh. Um, so that's honestly, we're just getting there, uh, trying to make the transition. Um, last year was my first full year. Um, so I hadn't really had to deal with it until, uh, about March or April. <laughs> and, um, then I, I do, uh, the smaller amount and I pay myself monthly on the 15th because I invoice on the first and it takes some time to get paid. So I'm more likely to actually have money um, in an account to take out of it on the 15th than I would be on the first or something. Um, so I pay myself a pretty low amount every month. Um, every dollar that I deposit in my account, uh, first of all, every dollar I deposit into my, um, company bank account, I put 40% in the savings. Um, assuming the like worst case scenario for everything taxation oriented and then a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, then out of that checking account that's remaining, I pay myself. So the savings inflates like over the year and gets deflated by quarterly taxes. Um, as I run payroll and stuff, but it stays there. And then at the end of the year, um, there's a final like tabulation by my accountant where it's like, okay, you owe or you don't, or this is how much it's all, so far always been you owe still. So you owe now you have this much left over in savings and you can do uh, retirement fun retirement things with it. So <laughs> um, that's how I did it last year, but I'm just now getting set up with a self-employed IRA um, to try to make a more um, consistent monthly contribution for retirement. Nice. How about you guys? Yeah. So that, that's interesting. Cause we do the, the steps of what you just described a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, all of my money goes into my business account and stays there. And then when I pay myself every, you know, the 15th and 30th or whatever yeah, I take at that point, I take and say, Oh, okay, here's, you know, some percentage is coming to home to me as income. And then the complimentary percentage is going to the savings account as taxes <laughs> or, you know, our tax savings. And so, yeah. um, what's in, the business account is all quote unquote pre-tax. Yeah. And so if I buy stuff for the business, the tax deductible or whatever, that all kind of jives because it's oh, pre-tax money and that's yeah. fine. 
And then I know how much roughly I need to, or I know exactly how much I need to pull out in order to set enough aside for taxes and pay me what our goal is. And, and so, uh, we kind of approached it that way and it's, it's probably six of one, half a dozen of the other, but that's. No, your way is way better. <laughs> Why didn't we talk about this before? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, now it's going to be a mess to switch it around. It'll be 2019 before I get. <laughs> I, I wouldn't change it till the end of the year. I'd probably yeah. start like a new year fresh. Um but yeah, See, this is why. This is why I usually ask you first. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's on you. <laughs> so we do that, and then uh, from from my perspective, um, the first place, you know, not a financial advisor, but uh, someone who studied this a lot. I think the best place that that I can put retirement money is in a Roth IRA, and so that's uh, that is a post tax uh, retirement contribution. So it gets paid out of our personal budget, not our, the business budget, you know? And so, um, that's just a part of the budget my wife and I keep, um, at, at home and, and some portion of what we've budgeted to pay ourselves goes to our Roth and that's great, you know? Um, and so that's pretty simple. And then in the event that we, um, have a great year, no longer qualify for a Roth or in the event that we max out the, you know, $11,000 or whatever that we can put in the Roth. Then we look at like our secondary options. Okay. And, and that's where the, um, the SEP IRA, the self-employment, uh, IRA comes in, um, where Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs have a $11,000 a year contribution. And there's also a, an income cap. If you make too much money, you're not even eligible to do Roths at all. Um, the SEP IRA has like an enormous cap. I mean, it's like at 25% of what you make or $50,000 or something. Don't quote me on that, but it's, it's some like, you know, really big amount. And so, um, you know, between those two tools, we've always been able to address our retirement savings pretty easily, you know, like we've never needed a third tool. Um, so that's, that's been great. And so whenever we can do Ross, we'll, you know, we'll definitely prioritize that we're in our mid thirties. I would say that would probably be true even up into our forties too. Uh, most certainly true. If you're younger than us, absolutely try to do Roths. But, um, you know, at some point it starts to make probably better sense to, to look at pre-tax options instead of post-tax options. But if you're youngish, the the post tax is definitely the way to go. You're a lot better at this stuff than I am. Do you guys? I mean, you have separate accounts, or are you both on all of your accounts? You and your wife. Um, we have separate retirement accounts. Okay. Per, um, just because I mean, you historically had separate employee employer yes. sponsored ones, yeah, yeah. And I mean, theor in theory, like most of our money is done together. Um, yeah. so we, you know, it all could be in my retirement accounts or all of her retirement accounts, and that'd be fine. But right. Um, with Roth, we each have, uh, an individual limit, you know, $5,500 right. per person. So that has kind of led us into doing one for each of us. And then, um, then any of the retirement savings we've gotten from previous employers that we've rolled into something, those have had to go into individual accounts too. So we do have one like joint account that we do investing in, but it's, it's not retirement related. It's just like a, you know, a brokerage account or whatever. Um, that is very informative. How about, um, your, your business expenses? I mean, those are your, uh, retirement, but what about, 
Um, I guess we've talked about keeping debt away if you can. And I know that some businesses and some people who are starting up their business will necessarily have to incur debt for a big piece of software or a license or um, any other number of things. But uh, mm -hmm. do you think it's, are, are there any specific steps you've taken to make your overhead lower? Yeah. So, I mean, unsurprisingly, I don't, we don't really do business debt. That's like, I don't have a business credit card, nor does my wife. We just use debit cards and cash pay, pay with cash for stuff. Um, I don't, I don't think it's wrong if other people do it. That's just how we've chosen to do our, live our life. What I've chosen to do that's actually worked okay well for me is I kind of do a self-assessment of, so, uh, as a digital marketer, like 90% of the things I buy are like some sort of, um, online service. That's like a subscription model, you know? Right. And, and so like, I will get eaten alive by like $15 a month kind of things, you know? And yeah. so about once a quarter, I try to like get my, you know, pull up my bank statement online or whatever and say like, okay, do I still need all this? You know, <laughs> like, like as my business has evolved, as my clients have evolved, like oftentimes I'll subscribe to something that really met a need at one point in time that yeah. maybe no longer does. And it's, it's not worth me to consider that every month. Um, it just, it doesn't change that rapidly or, it, you know, time wise, like I'm not going to sit down and do that every single month, but once a quarter has been really great. Um, because I'll, I'll go in and I'll, you know, cancel some stuff or subscribe to new stuff. Sometimes I'll find better replacements that are just, you know, the same tool, but a little bit cheaper or whatever. And so, um, I'll just kind of address that on a quarterly basis. And then one of the things that I'll, I just kind of alluded to this a second ago with you, but, um, I am a constant tinker with my operations yeah, of my workflows. Are. And so one thing I've had to be really conscious about is to not change all that crap all year long because I'll get to the end and like, I've got like 14 accounting softwares that I have to like combine and you know, like my time tracking stuff is in multiple places and yeah. like it's a disaster. So for me, usually in December, I take some time and reevaluate my options for all of those things. And then if I want to make a change, I do it at the end of the year. And then like, I'm committed to that thing for the rest of the year. And so, I, um, you know, some people get something and they never want to change and I want to change all the time. Yeah. And so I have to kind of like restrain myself and say, oh, okay, I'm only going to do this so often. And, and, you know, I'll jump in, I'll spend some time. I've got like a note stock that if I see stuff that's interesting, I'll just add it to that note. And, and then, you know, when that season comes, I've got like, oh, okay, here are the, here are the big players I need to check out and, and spend some time doing that, but then don't mess with it all year long. You are such a nerd. I uh, know. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. <laughs> Big nerd. Yeah. Honestly, the the first year we did my business taxes, it was, it was a partial year. Yeah. And like I had already used like three different things. And, <laughs> and like preparing for taxes, I was having to like cobble all that together. And oh, I was like, this awesome. is not sustainable. Like, no. <laughs> like I can't keep doing this. You're so, so lucky that was a partial year and you didn't have a whole yeah. year to screw it up. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, do, do your finances the way Rob does them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then don't change. Um, <laughs> well, and, and actually it's, it's like I err on that side. Right. And I think in a lot of ways people err on the other side where they get something set up and they never reevaluate it ever again. Yeah. And, and they end up with some like super old software that 
and I, I'll say it's bad from just the perspective of that kind of stuff is just evolving yes. at such a rapid pace. And there's tools that are available to freelancers, like accounting software written specifically for freelancers yes. that like didn't exist two years ago, you know? Yeah. And, and so like, if you're missing out on that, if you're missing out on tools that can make you more efficient, yeah. then like it's a time is money kind of thing. Right. So oh, totally. if you're on the other side of the spectrum, I would kind of encourage you to at least check it every couple of years because it could be something that you could, you could gain a lot more of your time back by, by making a change. Yeah. Anything. I mean, there's a limited amount of um, mental capacity. I'm sure we've talked about this that you have in a given day to really generate novel um, work product and anything that you're doing that is just rote and um, administrative is cutting into that amount of time that you have to do billable um, in, in interesting work. So I totally agree with you. If you find yourself doing something, there's a 99.9% chance that there's a tool for it already in existence mm -hmm. that will make it a lot easier. Um, even the little things like instead of filling, you know, making a new PDF engagement letter, every time I have a client, I have my Google form and I'm able to import that information directly into my um, time tracking software. Um, and then also have that for running conflicts and all these things. Cause if anybody has ever used a Google form, you, the backside is an Excel spreadsheet with all of the information aggregated, which is, um, or it's Google sheets spreadsheet, <laughs> but it is magic. That is so life-changing because any lawyer listening to this has spent so much time pulling up old engagement letters and doing control find and replacing the client names and saving them as a PDF and then sending them and getting them signed and then filing them to the file. And, um, that isn't necessary, at least in Colorado. Um, and not doing that frees you up a ton. Yeah, I could, and, and we probably should do an episode on this, but I could talk all day about little hacks that I use to, to save myself time and make things more efficient. Um, You're so much better at it than I am though. I mean, I just nerd out on that to, yeah. to a weird level, but one thing I'll, I'll mention as far as like just a little piece of advice is if you're growing your business and you're not like, you don't enjoy doing the bookkeeping and the money side of things like strongly consider outsourcing that, you know, if yeah, like, um, getting someone to do your like QuickBooks or your, I, I use zero, like just kind of your bookkeeping kind of stuff is super affordable. Yes. And there's people that really enjoy doing that. Despite the fact that like for most people that don't enjoy it, I can't imagine people would, would enjoy that. But, yeah. um, and so it's, you know, if the finances of your business are such that it, it's, it's time for that, um, I would, I would highly encourage you to get someone to like help you with that. Cause it can free up a lot of frustration and stress on you and it gets done a lot better. So at the end of the year, when tax time comes around, you're, you're probably going to save some portion of that money on tax prep because all your stuff's just going to be like way more organized and buttoned up, which is great. I agree with that wholeheartedly and had that experience as um, treasurer of a nonprofit here in town. And recently this year we hired a bookkeeper for the first time it really freed me up to be able to um, save the nonprofit more money in other more strategic, bigger picture ways because I had the bandwidth, you know, when I spend two hours sending invoices out <laughs> for the nonprofit, I don't really have it in me necessarily or have the time to make those bigger decisions. So I think it's all around been like a huge gain for that entity. Um, 
I think that the same would be true of pretty much any closely held company. Yeah. One of the one of the other things I would love to to talk about is I think a lot of small businesses fall into the trap of feeling like they're pressured into how they do their billing and their, um, their engagements, how, like how the money flows in those. Hmm. And, and something that I've tested so far without any pushback whatsoever is I've, I've done my agreement so that I've, I'm actually pretty aggressive as far as how quickly I get paid and, and what the terms are. Yeah. And, and I kind of offset that by saying like, Hey, you're hiring a one person show. Like I'm going to be way cheaper than a big, you know, a big agency. And, and so like in exchange for that, could, could you just like agree to pay me a little faster? You know, like it, it means, it means more to get paid timely from you to, to my family than it does like any of the agencies I've ever worked for, you know? Hmm. And, and so, so far everyone's been like super amenable to that. And I, I, you know, we've talked previously about, you know, collections. Um, (laughs) but I think another challenge to that is like not getting to that point, you know, like, um, there's a saying that I like that says if, if you have a collections problem, you have an operations problem, Hmm. you know? Um, I can see why you like that. It's really catchy. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you don't have a collections problem. You have an operations problem. Like things aren't, you shouldn't allow things to get to this level. And, and so, um, I would, you know, encourage anyone listening to be a little bit empowered as far as how you approach client engagements, because I, I think there's more cushion there than we often think, you know, and, and, you know, the, the net 30 kind of worldly typical, like who, why, why does that have to be a thing? Right. You know? And, and like, as far as getting deposits or maybe like on a bigger project, like getting, you know, paid monthly during that project or, yeah. or at different key points, you know, like if it's a multi month, you know, like a web develop development project, you know, saying like, Oh, okay, I'm going to get paid in thirds, yeah. you know, or, or something that kind of stuff, like totally makes sense on the front end. And I've rarely seen people push back on it, but it helps us as freelancers immensely. Yes. I completely agree with that. I don't know why as a freelancer you would say net 30 because what that means is you can't start um, complaining or asking like, hey, are you going to pay me until it's already 30 days past due? And almost always you've incurred more or performed more services by that time. So you're Mm -hmm. 60 days in the hole, which is dangerous. So even if you expect to get paid 30 days from the date of invoice, I mean, do payable upon receipt. And that way you can start asking uh, uh, week one. Yeah. Is that what you do? Payable and receipt? Yeah. I made that mistake. My first uh, couple invoices or f- first couple months, my invoices were net 30. And <laughs> just because just that's what everyone yeah, else does. Yeah, it was in there. And I was yeah. like, what? what? I'm not getting paid. And then I was like, maybe I should ask about it. And then I thought, like, I'm going to feel super uncomfortable asking, did you get my invoice? Because it's only been like two weeks and it's net 30. Um, but, uh, so now it's due payable upon receipt and that allows me, um, I'm not strict about that at all in enforcement. (laughs) Um, but what it does is it allows me to work with clients when they have, when they have budget issues, because we can alleviate their, um, budget issue or work with their budget by, um, just pacing. You know, like, all right, well, we're going to do a little bit this month. Um, and, and I can say, listen, it's okay if you need to take an extra couple of weeks to pay me. And um, that's a helpful thing for them and it helps our relationship. And I'm doing them a solid and we're still less than net 30. 
think that there's there's just so much more flexibility there than people realize, you yeah. know, especially on the front end. Yeah. And um and people miss out on that just just by not asking. It's just kind of money or flexibility or time on the table that's kind of left. Yeah. And it's so it's so understandable. And it's a good opportunity, like what you said about I mean, you know, it's important for my family. That's a great thing to build from a negotiation perspective when you're talking money to remind the person like it's just me and my little old family over here waiting to get paid. Um, you know, but if you want to keep haggling, that's fine. Uh-huh. I mean, it really humanizes you and um, makes it a little bit harder, I think, for for people to really give you a hard time about um, payment. Yeah, I was I was trying to find um yeah, I think I found it. Okay. Um FreshBooks. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Um they they make accounting software for freelancers. Yes. Worth checking. Um yes. I don't think either of us use them, but but they're solid. Yeah. Um they actually had did a big study on the best payment terms and I'll include huh. a, link, a link in the show notes. And so part of what I did when I was working at the accounting firm is is I I was faced with this like we were sending invoices out for the very first time because it was yeah. a, a startup business. And they actually found that if you put net 21 days, it you had a better success rate than due on receipt. Um interesting. Yeah, because there's something about there actually being a deadline versus like, oh, doing receipt. Oh, we'll just we'll throw it in the pile with the rest of the net thirties and get to it when uh, we get to it. And okay. and so we actually tried that at the uh, accounting firm fairly successfully. Hmm. Um, I, I personally now do net fifteen, um, but my invoices are very easily paid online. Yeah, um, you can pay them online through ACH or through a credit card or whatever. And so I try to just say like, hey. I just completed a month worth of work for you. Like within the first week of the month being over, we have a call where we talk about it. Right. And so like that gives you one more week to just log on here yeah. <laughs> and pay this invoice. And, um, and so I have the automated reminder emails that are like, Hey, this invoice is due tomorrow. Just, you know, just to remember. And, um, and then another one that's like, Hey, it's a week overdue. And so they've already gotten, yeah, you know, they get the invoice and they get two emails from me before we even hit net 30. Okay. And so, um, thankfully most of my clients have been fairly responsive to that and, uh, it's worked pretty well, but those are all things that kind of give us, and, and I should say, and I think I've mentioned this on a previous show, but I, I have very little tolerance for people that don't pay timely. <laughs> like I, I just like, you know, I don't get to do a real like half-hearted job at my part of that engagement, right? you know, like it, there's accountability to me. So I feel like, uh, if, if I'm doing a service in exchange for money, then there should be equal accountability on both sides. Yeah. And, and so I, I really kind of set that tone or try to set that tone like early on, especially with new clients, like, Hey, net 15, bro, <laughs> you know, yeah. like what's the deal? Um, and just get everyone in a good rhythm. Cause I, I find if you don't, yeah. it's so much harder nine months later to be like, Hey, I know you've been paying me net 30, like regardless of what my invoice says for a year, but like, (laughs) it's got to stop now, you know? Um, so I, I, you know, for me, keep keeping an eye on that or being diligent about it, uh, helps a lot. Yeah. That's super smart. And, and you mentioned you use zero. Is that right? I do use zero and, um, um, those are kind of the, the big options like fresh books for, for, um, all lawyers use Clio, but just to get in the weeds for a second, if you really yeah. are starting out, like, um, I used FreshBooks starting out. I really liked it and it made a lot of sense for one person, but, um, working with these other folks, everyone was already on Clio. So joined, 
up with Clio, which I think probably uh, works better for having like more than five people billing mm-hmm. under the same, you know, software. And then I use for that nonprofit, I use Wave apps. <laughs> Have you heard of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then Zero. I think that probably those are the four biggest ones or the three biggest ones. Yeah. I started with FreshBooks in my first year. That was kind of where I landed. And yeah. there were some pieces of it that just fell a little short of where I wanted to be. Yeah. And again, some of that is me coming out of an accounting world. So I was, you know, like, uh, had a real strong understanding of what I was looking for or what I wanted. Yeah. Um, but the, the biggest piece for me, just for the sake of listeners is I was really wanting, uh, I I've been advised several times as I got my business started to have multiple revenue streams. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wanted a good way of tracking those and like kind of separate like, oh, these, uh, gotcha. you know, this is the money I get from, um, you know, for the agencies I white label with, right. this is the money I get from direct clients. This is the money I get from like, okay. you know, sponsorships of my content or whatever. Yeah. And so like FreshBooks kind of broke down for me as far as creating like labels for each of those buckets of money yeah. for me to track. So if, you know, if you're out there listening and you're like, uh, I just do graphic design, that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, and I don't care about nerding out to the different buckets. Um, then it's great. And, yeah. and that's, that's really what it's designed for. So it's not a knock on FreshBooks as much yeah. as it is, you know, me just needing that extra level. Yeah. And if you're not using any um, time tracking or invoicing software, <laughs> you should absolutely be using some. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, I would say too, another to look at, and we can include links to these, but um, Harvest has actually oh, been yeah. great for me for a long time. And it's just super simple track time, send invoices. Like, yeah. And if you're, if you, especially if you're like part-time freelancing, and I think that's like a super great option. Yeah. And then like a level beyond that, when you start needing to track all of your expenses and all that sort of thing, uh, a, you know, a fresh book starts to come into play really strongly. Yeah. Um, if you have bigger aspirations, perhaps you want to go ahead and jump into like zero or yeah. uh, QuickBooks self-employed. Yeah. Um, and, and that way you don't have to change again down the road. Um, neither of those are like super intimidating if, yeah. if you're familiar with, uh, they do a good job of making it approachable. Yeah. I um, did the zero trial, I think. And it was, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, we use it a lot at the accounting firm, so it's just really comfortable uh, to me. Accountants seem to like it more. So if you're looking for something that's not going to weird out your um, tax person at the end of the year, maybe Zero mm-hmm. or QuickBooks self-employed. Yeah, Zero is really good about they have a network of apps that plug like plugins. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, FreshBooks plugs in to Zero, and so like I could track my time in FreshBooks and like you know make the receipts and zero and they they talk to each other okay. in kind of a meaningful way yeah and and there's dozens of of other apps that kind of do the same thing so if, if you're trying to for me i i prefer zero because it seems like that that community of other apps that they work with is great and so yeah. it kind of helps me streamline the back end of my business in, in a way that i appreciate smart yeah gosh well i think we covered a lot of the big points i wish i i wish i had had the opportunity to well I wish I had talked to you about about all of this earlier on, but I think we were both evolving our um, processes simultaneously. So this has been really helpful for me to understand. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things too. And and we probably should have said this at the beginning, but like anytime I talk to anyone about money, 
I try to be really gracious from the standpoint of we've all done really dumb yeah. crap with money, oh, you gosh, know? Yeah. And, and so like, if you find yourself like hitting yourself in the forehead, uh, after listening to this, like don't, yeah. um, but y- you know, you also don't need to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. And, and so wherever that sweet spot is based on your individual skills and, and bent, yeah. um, versus the nature of your business, like there's a lot of options on, on how you can approach that. And ultimately you're just needing the, the minimum amount of information that your accountant needs, right? Like, yeah. uh, that's, that's your baseline. So, um, you know, good that's point. a, that's a good person to talk to and let them kind of set up your workflow too. If, if they're the ones going to be filing your taxes at the end of the day. That's a really good point. That's a good note to end on for sure. Yes. Um, what are we asking our listeners to do? We would ask our listeners to do, let's see, three join, things this time. Join our Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. Join <laughs> our Facebook group. The Unfederated yeah. Facebook group. Um, we're, Sarah and I are doing a, a little bit better of a job of, of curating that now. And we hope to continue growing it in the future. So uh, it's a great time to get in there and ask other people what they're doing. Maybe yeah. if you're in an industry we haven't talked about, like propose that question and see if, if we can all help each other. I think that's great. Number two, um, the biggest way you can help this podcast, honestly, is is by one of the next two things. You can review us in the podcast app. Um, yes. And that helps us a lot, just helps other people find us. And two, if you if you know some other freelancers that you just want to like share the podcast with, um, a social post or just like a quick email to someone, um, that that would mean the world to us. Yeah. So we Sarah and I have been super, I don't want to speak for you, Sarah, but I'm pretty sure we were just talking about this before we <laughs> yeah. recorded. We've, yeah. we, we've been super blown away by the, uh, the traction this, this podcast yeah. has gotten and we're yeah. like super thankful for that. Yes. So excited. So, um, sharing that with someone, you know, um, would mean the world to us. Yeah. And let us know, uh, send us a message, uh, unfederated.studio, um, with any of your comments or questions. And yeah. If, love to hear if you feel like if you feel like we missed something, let's hear it and we, yeah. we'll do some follow-up next next episode. Yep. yep. All right. Well, have a good week. Cool, Sarah. Let's go blow some money. Okay. Woo! I'm going to spend all my money right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. We'll all see right. you. Later, brother.